0: This morning, our title of our lesson is Forever Settled. Our family theme is God's Word Stands. Our objective is that we would live out God's Word with complete confidence and be ready to defend its truth. Our study section this morning will be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25. through 25. Also, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Luke chapter 3, the first two verses. We've got two key truths. God has preserved the accuracy of his word. We'll see that in Peter as well as Matthew. And also, the second key truth is there are reliable evidences for the truth of God's word. And we'll see that, uh, at least part of that, from Luke chapter 3, the first two verses. Under our Bible basics, things we should know. Uh, how how would you answer this question if somebody asked you who wrote the Bible? How would you answer that? Okay, many people wrote it. All right. I would agree with that. Inspired by, God. inspired by God. Exactly. So we have many people, but they're all inspired by God. So God's Word is inspired. In fact, Peter himself, and we'll touch back on that a little later on, he said the prophecy of old time didn't come by the will of man, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, yes, it was written by man, but also breathed out by God. Now, so where does this lesson today kind of fit in the Bible? It's kind of hard to put it in one place because we're talking about the entire Word of God being reliable. It doesn't matter whether it's Genesis, Revelation, or anything in between, it is all reliable. It is the inspired Word of God. Andrew, I'll get started this morning. How how do we, as individuals sometimes, or families, whatever it might be, how do we, what do we do to preserve the integrity of certain objects or ideas? What do we do? Something that' something that's important to us. What do we do? Okay? all right? Do we try to make sure it doesn't get damaged or, or, or hurt in any way? I, th- I think we, we agree with that. Uh, so what does it mean to pres- pre- to preserve something then? What does it mean to preserve something? Absolutely, but why would you do that? It's precious to you, exactly. And so we, we understand the importance of that. So hopefully today we're going to find out, uh, and we know, first of all, uh, there are certain things people do try to preserve. And nothing wrong with that, because they are special to that individual, whatever it might be. But well, today, we are going to find out how God has preserved the integrity of his Word. Now, it's interesting, the times we live in, um, there are many who are drifting away from the truth. They are drifting away from the guidance of God's Word. And certainly there are consequences of doing that. As believers, though, I want, I want to remind us today and reaffirm that we can hold fast to the Word of God. And today we'll look at some reasons that we can trust the reliability of the Word of God. Let's go to First Peter first of all. Then we'll be in Matthew five eighteen. Uh, anybody want to read First Peter twenty two, chapter one verses twenty two through twenty five. Thank you, Dan. Now, it's interesting this morning as I went back through this, I underlined uh, some key words there in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 22 through 25. And Peter talks about here, first of all, he says in verse 22, uh, that we've been purified by obeying the truth. Now, what is the truth? God's Word. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, uh, we've not been born with corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. He says, by the Word of God. So we see the Word of God there. And then, uh, in verse 25, he talks about the Word of the Lord endures forever. And then in, also in verse 25, he said, this is the same Word uh, which by the Gospel is preached unto us. So I think we can gather from Peter's writing here, uh, even in this few verses, that God's Word is very, very important. Now remember, we're born again because we've obeyed the truth of God's Word. We're born again by the, by the Word of God. Also, it's the Word of God that endures forever, and it's the Word of God that has been preached to us through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but guess what? God's Word will not. Now, keeping that in mind, you know, Peter has taught us that we have been born again through the eternal Word of God. In fact, Paul would write, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the Word. Unless the Word of God is preached, you cannot be saved. We're saved through the Word of God. That's interesting, and Dan you just read that in Peter's in Peter's letter, his epistle almost said gospel, but his letter there. And Peter makes an analogy. He compares people to grass and the flowers of the field. What's the comparison there? Tiffer, all right. When you start to say something. <laughs> uh yeah. And we all change, right? I was at a friend's house this past week helping him do some work on her shower and we've known her for quite a few years and uh, they were showing me some pictures of years gone by and his wife, who, my, who we've known for years, uh, showed me a picture of her when she was probably in high school, you know, senior year might have been. And the thing that got my attention, uh, I know her daughter as well and uh, Sue said to me, Do You know who that is? I, said, I know who it is, but if I didn't know, I would surely think it was your daughter, Trisha. And uh, she says, You're thinking what happened, right? <laughs> what happened through the years? You get old, don't you? Uh, Faye Harness tells this story about one of her, one of her granddaughters one time, uh, some years back, was at her house. And uh, Faye had a picture, I guess, you know, on the coffee table, something of that was years gone by of her, and her granddaughter, I forget which one it was, said, Grandma, was this you when you were pretty? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, we get older, we change, and not only that, and, and Dan, you're right, you read it for us there, we fade away, and it's sort of like the fly into the field, and they're pretty for a while. And they're there, but really the fact of the matter is, and uh, the older you get, the more you realize how short life really is. It's as though we're here today and, and, and gone tomorrow. So again, the flowers wither away, and what happened to us? We wither away. Seasons come and seasons go. But Peter said, What about the Word of God? It stays the same, it is forever. Now here's what's interesting. It's that word of God that offers us eternal life. Now don't miss that. It offers us eternal life. And then Daniel also read what Jesus did in Matthew's gospel chapter 5, and Jesus promised us that nothing from the scripture would ever fade away. How many are glad for that? Amen? Yes, indeed. It'll never fade away. Say what, Paul? Amen. 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 Yes, indeed. And aren't you glad for that today? We've got something. Oh, my goodness. We're living in an ever-changing world. Isn't that true? But our God and his word never, ever, ever, ever changes. Now, by the way, it's always been true, but I think it's getting worse as the the times grow on near to the coming of Christ. But the world has always been filled with skeptics who raise questions concerning the validity of the word of God. And it's going to continue until Jesus comes. Now, again, I speak to my dad pretty often, but one of his, his theories is, well, this can't be all there is. There's something missing out of this book. My question is, what's missing? Nothing. Everything we need is here. But that's what skeptics say, and there are many that do that. But, but And the question they ask is this, how can we know? <clears throat> <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> how can we know that what we have the Bible in our hand, what we hold in our hands, how do we know what was written some 2000 years ago is what we are reading today? Now that's a good question. That's a good honest question. Now, one thing for sure, we cannot go back and compare what we have today with the original manuscripts. Why is that? They're gone. We don't have original ones, okay? But we have many reasons to be sure that God has protected the accuracy of His Word. Now, first of all, you and I being believers, we don't need convinced. convince. We know that, right? Now, let's think about it. Let's, let's do some analogy here t- this morning. I think it'll help us a little bit. <clears throat> First of all, you, you already told me this morning that God's Word was written by men, different men, as God inspired His Word. So my question would be, uh, and, and I don't, I'm not looking for a deep answer here, but why did God see it needful for Him to inspire the Word? Why do you think He thought needful? Absolutely. Exactly. He wanted it to be what he wanted to say, right? And again, if you have, I forget how many different authors there, I think over 50 different authors, I could be wrong there, but if they had their own ideas, did their own thing, what would it look like? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. So God wanted to make sure that what they wrote is what he wanted. So since God was particular about that and meticulous in that area, would it stand a reason he would also preserve that word? Sure. He'd want to protect it. And so we we've, we've got reasons to to know that what we have today is still reliable. Now when we talk about the word of God, there are two words that I think are important and that we've talked about one already is inspiration, God breathed it out. But another word is preservation. And these are actually two different elements relating to how reliable God's Word is. Now again, uh, the inspiration, we mentioned it earlier, uh, what that lets us know is because God breathed it out, it lets us know that God's Word was written accurately. Uh, in fact, Peter said they didn't say what they wanted to say, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, it, you know, again, he affirms that as well. Uh, so... That's inspiration. But preservation is really the logical uh, outgrowth of inspiration. The very God who inspired his word, now think about this. Do you think he has the power to keep his word, to preserve it? Sure he does. He's careful to preserve his word. But also to protect its accuracy. And the Bible, we've already read here in Peter and in Matthew, the Bible certainly claims that God's Word is true, and it will be preserved. Now, uh, we don't have any original manuscripts of old or New Testament authors. But we can be sure that what we have today, what we read today, is exactly what the authors originally intended. It is what God wants us to have. Now, it's interesting. Uh, we don't have the original manuscripts, but there are enough to validate the veracity of the Word of God. Now, it's interesting uh I think this is the, the oldest existing secular manuscript is Homer's Iliad. And uh, it's a story, a poem, if you will, uh, about the Roman assault on the city of Troy. And the assault had been going on t- about 10 years, uh, and his poem covers uh, the last part of the assault on the city of Troy. It's the oldest existing manuscript from uh, secular history that we have today in our world. Now, again, those who study manuscripts, they would follow two very important criterion to determine whether or not what they have is legit. First of all, they would consider how many manuscripts they had to work with. The more manuscripts they can read from, the more they're able they're to determine the validity of what they're putting together. So how many manuscripts are there? But the second thing they consider is how much time elapsed from when, when those manuscripts were written, when it actually happened, how much time has gone by. So the amount of manuscripts, the time after the event, the manuscripts were written. And of course, they would consider the earliest dated writings of certain manuscripts. So the more manuscripts they had, the more able they were to piece together, if you will, the original. But also, the smaller time gap between when the event happened and the writing took place also made the manuscripts more reliable. Now, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but even today, there are many who are not sure Shakespeare ever existed. Okay? Okay. Now, I'm not going to argue that point. I don't know. Uh, But again, what I'm trying to say, one of the most verifiable manuscripts that we have uh, is is Homer's Iliad because of the number of manuscripts and because of the amount of time that he wrote and the time after the event actually took place. Now, by the way, uh, Homer was not there when the assault took place. He wrote about 400 years after the fact. But nonetheless, uh, not a very long time considered at all. And so because of the manuscript amount they have on that because of the limited time of at least relatively short time period uh this iliad of homer is considered to be the most dependable uh, of all ancient secular literature that you have available today again because of manuscripts and because of the short relatively short time now again uh from what i understand uh that the total amount of manuscripts for Homer's Iliad is about 1,700 manuscripts. And many believe that there's about a, there was a gap of about 400 years from the time he wrote it, his poem, and the time the event actually happened. So again, textual critics would say knowing the amount of manuscripts and limited time, we are very sure that we can accurately put together Homer's Iliad. Keep that in mind. 1,700 manuscripts 400 years from the time the event actually happened. And because of that it's the most accurate uh, we believe it's the most accurate secular manuscript we have, ancient manuscript. Now let's talk about the New Testament. Evidence for the New Testament is greater than that. They have found 1,700 manuscripts of Iliads, uh, of Homer's Iliad. There's over 5,700 manuscripts of the New Testament. You see a difference there? 5,700. And that's not counting the other translations in other languages. And those manuscripts we have of the New Testament, some of them were written within thirty-five years of the event, and none of them written after four hundred years of the when the events took place. And because of that, we can be confident that the New Testament we have today is what the authors originally intended for us to read. The manuscript evidence is there. The time frame is there. We have the Bible God wants us to have. Now, what I just shared about manuscript evidence refers to the New Testament. So again, using what textual critic would use as their criterion, the Bible has a lot more. The New Testament has more than even secular writing of the ancient manuscript had of Homer's Iliad. Now, again, that's the New Testament. But what about the Old Testament? How do we know? How do we know that it's reliable, what we have today? Well, first of all, I think we'd all agree the Old Testament has a long history. Isn't that true? A long history, and uh, I know you realize that during the New Testament times, we would we would often read of Jesus uh, and his interaction with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Does anybody know who the scribes were? Any any idea on them? Yeah. That's what the word sure I means, Cheryl. You said what now? But again, Cheryl, going back to what you said earlier, their main goal was to preserve the integrity of the scriptures. Dan, like you said, as they are making copies of the scripture, they were the guardians of God's word. Now, this is interesting, and we're just going to, you know, be able to touch the tip of the iceberg this morning. Uh, but they were very careful when it comes to uh, copying the Old Testament. Now, Jeremy was telling me was even, when he was in Bible college, they, they took a class on this, and these scribes, even in the Old Testament days, they would actually begin in the center of a book, a center letter, and they count both directions. Can you imagine doing that? To, to do their best, to be very meticulous as they copied the Word of God. And when Jesus' day come around, that's where the scribes rose. They were guardians of the Scripture, making sure that when copies were needed, they would make those copies and make sure they were as accurate as they could be. But again, let's think about the Old Testament for a minute. Uh, When we get to the New Testament... <clears throat> You'll see <clears throat> different writers make a statement uh to this effect. Uh it is written. what did they, they mean by that? Say it again, Sheryl. In the Old Testament. So they're quoting from the Old Testament. Now remember, these were men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's word was inspired, and so they quoted the Old Testament. So my question would be: (laughs) Now remember, it had been it had been four hundred years since the Book of Malachi had written, right? So, do you think that when the writers of the New Testament quoted the Old Testament, do you believe that they thought it was accurate? Sure, they did, because the natural assumption would be if it wasn't accurate, guess what? They wouldn't quote from it. But also. My question would be, did Jesus quote from the Old Testament? Yes, he did. And by the way, now again, because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe that Paul was inaccurate or wrong or Peter or James or John, but I know for sure Jesus would never have been inaccurate, right? Amen. So again, that shows us how accurate the Old Testament is. But not only that, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, Now, by the way, if you're like me, I don't need the Dead Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, I'm glad they're there. I just trust God's Word, okay? But what I'm showing you, there's outside evidence that tells us God's Word is what God wants us to have today. Now, it's interesting. (coughs) If I'm not mistaken, and I haven't studied the entire thing, I've read some things about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think they found, one of the, now they didn't find the entire Old Testament. Uh, there they they were just parts of almost all the Old Testament. But they, they did find, if I'm not mistaken, if not the entire book of Isaiah, almost the entire book of Isaiah. This was in the early 1900s. Guess, guess what they found out when they compared it to, to what we have today? They're almost the, almost the same. Now what do you, how do you explain that? Cheryl, you mentioned a while ago, you preserve things that are important. What has God done? He's preserved His Word. <laughs> so, the Old Testament is the same scripture, scripture recognized by the Jews, by the apostles, and by Jesus in the New Testament. So they have to be reliable. And when it comes to the New Testament, <coughs> excuse me, The New Testament was written by eyewitnesses. Now think about that. And we read about historical events related to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now folks, you need to remember, God didn't do this thing in a vacuum. He didn't hide in a corner... He did it among real people in real time with witnesses and even eyewitness who wrote the New Testament. And it's interesting as you read the New Testament, in fact, you will find uh, that the early Christians believed that the apostles had a unique authority for, for, for providing God's Word in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said this, who has also made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says that Christ had made him a minister of, of the New Testament. And the early church recognized the authority the apostles had that. And then Peter, uh, we read from uh, a moment ago, but in chapter 3 of Second Peter, uh, Peter says, I write to you in both which I stir up your minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which are spoken uh, before by the holy prophets and of the commandment, now hear this, of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. So they believed in the early New Testament days that the apostles had the authority uh, to write the word of God. Also in 2 Peter chapter 3, later on the same verses, same chapter, verse 15 and 16, uh, Paul uh, is mentioned there by Peter, and Peter says he recognized what Paul had already written as God's Word. So even the New Testament people agreed the apostles had that authority. Now beyond that, uh, once we get beyond the apostles, uh, the early uh, church uh, leaders would meet in councils, if you will, in an effort to keep the doctrine sound and to preserve proper theology. Now, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, these councils met to determine uh, what is the Word of God, what's not. That is not true. That is, they never met for that reason. And by the way, the earliest council is in Acts 15. It was a Jerusalem council. There was a dispute going on or a teaching going on uh, that said uh, you know, you want to be saved, it's okay, but you've got to be circumcised. You've got to mix law and grace. So they didn't meet to determine the Word of God. They met to determine what is the Bible teaching us. And they concluded, that's not true. You don't need to mix them both. So that's the first council there in Acts 15. So they didn't decide the Word of God then. They just said, hey, here's what theology, this is good theology. God's Word doesn't teach you to mix the two. It's faith and faith alone, by grace alone, faith in Jesus Christ. So that was determined in Acts 15. Now, all of the other councils that followed that, they did not decide what would be Scripture and what would not be Scripture. Uh, Nor did they decide what the Bible taught. Basically, they got together, now hear me well, to determine whether or not those Early church leaders agreed with what the Bible teaches. Now, if I understand that correctly, if, if you and I were to go and make that council up, and I raised my hand and I said, now Wayne, I don't agree with this. Your responsibility, you got a choice, you can be wrong if you want to, but we're not changing that. that we're we're determined whether or not you agree. We're not going to change it whether you agree or you don't. This is the Word of God. So the councils got together, and they were very helpful in determining terminology, if you will. But they did not determine whether or not certain parts were true or not. If they had the Bible, they said what? Well, it is true. We can't debate that. We might not understand what it means, but it has to be true. All they did was deal with terminology. They simply... Simply recognized the scriptures of what they taught, and they believed it to be that way. Thank God for that. Amen. Now, again, you'll hear people tell you, well, they got together, these councils did. There's the Nicene Council. I think there was two of them, and I don't know very many of them. But anyway, well, this council got together, they said this would be the Bible. No, that's not true. That is absolutely not true. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, hear me well. I mean, even people like my dad who who knows nothing about Scripture, (laughs) critics will often make assumptions. Isn't that true? In fact, they will make accusations that the Bible is not trustworthy because surely somebody left something important out in the translation. Well, we know that's simply not true. It's simply not true. And we have evidence like the Dead Sea Scrolls tells us that didn't happen. Now, here's what's interesting, folks, and we, and we can't miss this. Now, by the way, thank God for the Jews. Amen? Because do you, do you realize this morning that within the heart of the Jews, God instilled a terrific reverence for the Word of God in their hearts? They stood in awe of God's Word. There were things the Jews would never say. I'll give you an example. For example, in Romans uh, chapter 6, when Paul says, uh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? <clears throat> well, the King James Version says, God forbid. A Jew would have never said that. A Jew would have never used God's name that way, okay? Now, I'm not debating whether or not they should have or not, but the Jews simply would not do that. And so they had a reverence for the Word of God. I read in our in our study guide... That the uh, the scribes every morning, if they if they were going to be uh, copying any of the scripture that day, they would take a ceremonial bath to bathe their entire body, because they realized how important what they were doing was. Now, that that may may sound silly to us, but it didn't to them. They wanted to make sure of the accuracy of what they were copying. You know the sad thing about it. Most of the missed it in that day, didn't they? They were able to copy it. But it just didn't know some of the things it was teaching. Let's apply it. Trust the reliability of the Bible, knowing God preserved it. My question is this. Why is it important to know that what we have is what God intended. Why is that important? Okay. Yeah. But not only that, Dan, my eternal life is based on this word. And if this word is wrong, guess what? Everything's wrong. That's why it's so important. Thank God for your liability. So number one, God preserve the action of his word. Number two, there are reliable evidences for the truth of God's word. Anybody want to read Luke chapter 3, first two verses? Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, And his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, first of all, this is a tough question, so get your thinking cap on. Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Thank you. Luke was a doctor. He was meticulous. He was a fantastic historian. And look what he does here. He lists names I can't even pronounce. And what he does, he talks about when God's Word came to John the Baptist. And I said earlier, it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened among people people that you can verify and and by the way even in in the in that day the things that Jesus did the things that John the Baptist said it happened when people heard they saw it and they heard it and you could ask them did it really happen what well, it if it did yes it did it could verify that now remember Christianity hinges on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lived in the first century. He lived there in Palestine. And the Bible is filled with historical events around his life here on earth. So my critics would say, yeah, but that's what the Bible says. The Bible is going to protect itself? Okay, I agree with that. That's just what the Bible says. Well, think about this. Uh, Tacitus was a Roman senator, an orator, and he was considered one of the best Roman historians ever. In his last major work, and I'm quoting here, uh, he included a biography of Nero. Now, for those who don't know, Nero was in that. And, uh, it is believed by Roman historians that he set fire to Rome. But when that story began to circulate and they found out it was him, he began to blame Christians. Okay? So, this is what Tacitus says, this Roman historian, about that event. He says, Consequently, speaking about Nero, to get rid of the report that he started a fire, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their uh, abominations called Christians by the populace. Now remember, this is a Roman historian writing this. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, origin, I'm sorry, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. At the hands of one of One of our our procurators, Pontius Pilate, a Roman historian, said that. And he goes on, and a most mischievous superstition, that's what they thought of Christianity. It was simply a mischievous superstition, said, was checked for the moment. And he goes on to say, but it broke out again, not only in Judea, the first source of this evil, but also throughout Rome. That is a Roman historian, not a Christian. Now, by the way, the Bible says they were first called Christians and then Antioch. That supports that, if you will. And Tactus used the title of Christ. Didn't use the name Jesus. Because there were a lot of Jesuses, Right? But how many Christ's were there? Just one. So he uses the title of Christ, not a proper name like Jesus. So he identifies the individual he was talking about. Not just any Jesus, but Christ. Now, whether or not he believed in Christ, I doubt that. But also, he talks about how this Christ suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Does it not verify what happened to Jesus? Sure it does. Another Roman non-Christian, Pliny the Younger. He was the governor of the Roman province of Bithynia. And Pliny, one day, wrote a letter to Trajan, the Roman emperor at the time. And he told the emperor what was going on. (laughs) What was going on when the early church met together. And this is what the Christians were telling Pliny, who told Trajan the Emperor. And these Christians had been arrested for their beliefs. Here's what they said. Pliny says, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a god... And to bind themselves by an oath, not to some crime, but to not commit fraud, not to commit theft, not to commit adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. Does it not confirm what the Bible says about the church in the early days? And this is from a secular governor, if you will. Josephus, how much time i got left, Jason? Okay. Josephus was a Jewish priest. He grew up in the first century. And he's famous for writing about Jewish history. It's known as the Jewish Antiquities. And in his historical entries, Josephus mentions James, Jesus, and John the Baptist. Now think about that. Confirming these biblical characters. And here's one entry in his history book. Annas, the high priest, assembled the Sanhedrin of Judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others are some of his companions. And when he had formed the accusation against them as breakers of the law... He delivered them to be stoned. Secular history. Confirming what we have is the Word of God. Archaeology discoveries for years. Critics said the Hittites never existed. Never lived. There's no evidence of that. But the problem was they had to back up and apologize. Because in the... In the 19th and 20th century, they found artifacts of that. In 2004, in 2004, during construction work near, uh, Temple Mount, they unearthed a massive pool believed to be called the Pool of Siloam. And that's just a few. I gotta tell you folks, thank God we have his word. We can count on it. It is reliable. And that's why we live it, we teach it, we preach it here. Let's stand together. Next week, we're going to begin a new quarter. We'll be in the book of 1 Peter. And our title is Holy Like Him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring it. And thank you, Lord, for preserving it for us today. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.